Welcome to the Hope City Drip. This is a podcast of Hope City Church here in Clinton, Iowa, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Clinton. We know that life can be busy, can be hectic, and so whether you're a stay-at-home mom and you have littles, or whether you're a shift worker uh, laboring long hours, whatever you do, this podcast is made for you to hear and digest the mission and the vision of Hope City Church. It's a vision drip, so let it drip at your pace. Press pause when you need to, rewind, adjust the speed, whatever you need to do, we hope that this podcast serves to help you live for the glory of Jesus and the joy of your local community. My name is Nick Powell, and I'm the pastor of Hope City Church here. And in this week's episode, this is actually a very special episode because it's the very first episode of our church's podcast. And so I'm going to take us um, 30,000 feet in the air and go through the mission of this church and basically answer the question, why do we exist? Like, why Hope City Church in Clinton, Iowa? That's the question that we're going to explore. And so before I do that, I just want to give a, a brief little update, you know, who I am and, and what we're doing. Uh, my family and I, we moved from Des Moines, Iowa uh, in July, and we are sent by uh, our local church that we belong to there uh, called Frontier Church. We're being sent by Frontier Church to plant a church in, here in Clinton, Iowa. And uh, I'm actually from Clinton. So I went to Clinton High and grew up in this town. My mom grew up in this town. Um, my grandma, I believe, yeah, my grandma grew up here and my great grandma, I believe, moved here. And so I'm uh, four generations uh, Clintonian. And, uh, and so for me, uh, coming back to my hometown to plant a church is not something that I really ever anticipated. It uh, wasn't something on my short list of things to do. And for those of you that maybe aren't familiar with Clinton, uh, Clinton is a river town. And if you've ever read um, Hillbilly Elegy or if you've ever read anything about the decline of uh, industrial America, you have a pretty good idea of what Clinton is. Um, if you've seen anything or read anything about the Rust Belt or anything like that, Clinton is a uh, uh, what you would call or could call a boom town. Clinton back in the 1800s was founded um, by folks that were seeking opportunity, enterprising, uh, ambitious, skillful people that saw the intersection of the Mississippi River and the railroad as an opportune place to start a town and develop business. And Clinton, um, Clinton was known for its logging. I mean, it was Clinton's logging industry provided an incredible amount of wealth in the late 1800s. So Clinton was a very flourishing uh, little community uh, here uh, in east, the eastern edge of Iowa. Well, as the years go on, you know the story. Um, the economy shifts and things just didn't quite get re-situated here in Clinton. Like the economy of the logging industry was disrupted and that got taken way out west or in the south. Um, and you have uh, factories here in Clinton that provided a lot of great jobs for folks uh, all the way up until probably about the 80s, the 1980s. There was the what people call the farm crisis. And uh, 
just the economy tanked and there was a lot of people that lost their jobs and so a lot of folks moved out of Clinton. Uh, the town had around 35 to 40,000 people at one time, probably in the 70s. And uh, now it's down to maybe about 25,000. And so in a lot of ways, Clinton uh, is in a decline or has been in a decline for a long time. And so a lot of people my age, I'm 31, a lot of people my age growing up in Clinton wanted to get the heck out of Clinton. And uh, leaving Clinton was definitely something that was on my short list uh, as I was getting out of high school. And so I went to college at the University of Northern Iowa and I went there for a a criminology degree. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So my dad was a cop. And so I thought, hey, I want to be a cop too. Uh, And so I, you know, I majored in criminology and then I ended up meeting Jesus in college. I grew up in the church in Clinton, but uh, I didn't really uh, start following Jesus and understand the depths of my sin and uh, the grace of God. I didn't understand the gospel until about my sophomore year of college through a college ministry called Basic. And that really is where I um, started to have new passions shaped and formed in me. Uh, I started to play music, and so I started to serve the local church uh, through playing guitar and leading worship. And then I ended up meeting my wife uh, at, in college about that same time as well uh, through the college ministry. She was also a part of that. So I met my wife there, met Jesus in college, and then um, I was in a band, like a touring metalcore band. I don't know if anybody's ever listened to metalcore, uh, but metalcore is like a lot of scream. Some people call it screamo. Uh, so you might be familiar with, with it called screamo. There's a lot of screaming, breakdowns. little bit of singing. Our vocalist Grant was an amazing singer, so he could sing and scream. And uh, I did that for a while. And the purpose of our band was we were were just excited about Jesus. And so we uh, made it our goal to every show we played, we preached the gospel uh, from the stage. So we would play like a couple songs and then we would, uh, and then we, our vocalist would just preach the gospel, the real uh, short, explicit, Jesus died for your sins, and he was resurrected uh, to bring you new life. And if you believe in that, that you will be, then you will be saved. And so we preached that gospel, that simple, basic gospel, to that scene for about four years, and we tried to build relationships with kids, and God was so faithful to us. Uh, I, I grew a lot as a follower of Christ in the, that season, and, uh, and so that really shaped my imagination for the Christian life. Um, doing that shaped my imagination because when I read the New Testament, I saw followers of Jesus were people that were willing to go and, uh, and, and live a vocation. They were, they were to live a way of life. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm called to be a fisher of men to go and, and um, share this good news of Jesus and how he changed my life. And I want to go fish for people, like fish, go into these ponds um, full of kids that are broken, full of kids that don't know um, where life is found, and uh, and by the grace of God, fish them out of there uh, by sharing the gospel with them. So that was kind of my whole grid for life at that point. And as I just grew, I, I realized that the local church is something that I neglected. Uh, I didn't ha- I didn't give it a priority. And when you read the New Testament, I mean, that is the uh, 
The local church is the group of people God saves and knits together as a family to go accomplish what God calls us to do. I mean, the local church is the mechanism or the vehicle or the way in which God um, advances his kingdom and advances his gospel. So I realized that I didn't really prioritize the local church to the degree that God wanted me to. And so I made it a priority to uh, when we stopped touring in the band to really join a local church, become a member, and uh, serve that church. And that's when I found a church called Redeemer Church in Cedar Falls. And at the time, I mean, they were, it was fantastic. I mean, they were a church planting church, and I'd never really seen that before. Their emphasis and so woven in their DNA was we are going to make disciples and we're going to plant churches. And I saw vitality in that church that I'd never really experienced firsthand. And I was just totally hooked. I was like, man, this, if this is church, uh, I, I want more of this. Like I want a more of a local church that's like this. And so I gave myself to that for years. My wife and I flourished there. And then we moved to Des Moines because uh, I wanted to I actually wanted to start a recording studio in uh, in Des Moines, and my buddy Cole Dykey was planting a church, and he was sent by Redeemer, and he uh, he and a core team uh, left Cedar Falls to go plant um, Frontier Church in Des Moines, and I was like, wow, what a great opportunity! So there's going to be a local church that makes disciples, plant churches, and. Uh, and, and I want to move to Des Moines too and, and uh, start a recording studio and just like see how that goes. And so my wife and I moved to Des Moines to go do that. And, uh, you know, the studio thing just wasn't, I mean, we had more kids and I realized, man, um, what I really want to do with my vocation, like what I want to give my life to is not necessarily making music uh, in and of itself, but to uh, preach the gospel, make disciples, and to be a, a pastor. So I wanted to pursue that more fully. So I sold all my music equipment, and uh, I used that money to get a seminary education at the Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And great school, ton of momentum right now. And I got my, uh, I got a what they call it a, an MTS, Masters in Theological Studies. It's just like a little forty-five credit hour degree in theology, and it was really helpful for me. And it really just fanned the flame of desiring to be a pastor of a local church. And that's what I pursued for the next couple years. I did a residency, uh, pastoral residency, and then I did a church planting apprenticeship at Frontier Church. And uh, they sent me out here, and here I am planting a church in Clinton, Iowa, uh, the town that I'm from, that I saw such great need in. And so God, really long story short, God has transformed my um, desires uh, and transformed my outlook on my hometown. I, When I started to truly process what it means to, you know, uh, be a pastor and then not just be a pastor, but like be a, a church planting pastor, I really got this sense from God that you can't just be a church planter in the abstract. You are, if you're called to be a church planter, then you're called to be uh, on mission and plant a church to a particular people in a particular place. 
And for me, that's it was only Clinton. I, I had no desire or call or sense that the Spirit of God was moving me towards a Denver or a Seattle or an Austin or whatever. I didn't, I didn't sense that that is um, the calling on my life. And I just couldn't shake that this town that I'm from, that I've always kind of looked back at and said, hmm, somebody should do something about that. Somebody should go and... And, and give themselves to the good work of what God is doing in Clinton. And I, and I just was like, well, somebody, somebody else should do that. And then eventually God was like, maybe you should do that. And I was, oh, okay. So you, I'm called to plant a church in my hometown, the town I wanted to run from. And then, and then now I'm going back. And so for me, it was like, duh, that's such a God thing for him to transform my desires like that. And so here I am. Uh, now we're in August and uh, we, my family and I have been here for a couple months now. We, uh, we bought a, an old fixer upper here. Um, cause I just love old things. My wife and I both love old, uh, we love antiquing, but really, uh, Clinton as an old town and as an old post industrial, you know, this place used to be flourishing kind of town. Um, there's a lot of old, cool mansions. There's a lot of old, cool homes and a lot of good woodwork and all this kind of stuff could go on and on about, all the rich history of Clinton. But so I wanted to buy an old house. There's so much story here. So we bought an old house in Clinton in the oldest part of Clinton. And I was working on fixing some stuff up a couple weeks into moving here. And I cut my arm and I fell. I fell working on something. I was working on patching a crack in the, the plaster here. And it was just a silly mistake. I was standing, um, in a stairwell, like patching some, patching this crack and I shifted my weight wrong and I fell into this window, this old, uh, this old window, you know, single pane. It sounded like ceramic when it broke. It was so old, but I fell into the window and my arm got cut and it was a really bad cut, uh, cut some nerves and I can't really use my arm right now. Um, I got taken to Iowa city and I, I could share that whole story um, as, a, as a podcast in and of itself, but this is supposed to be an abbreviated where we are right now as a church. Um, I, uh, I came to Clinton thinking, we're going to plant this church. We're going to do something here, um, charged up, and I cut my arm. And now I'm like, oh, God. The thing that I came here for has not changed, but all the extra stuff, like I have a passion for woodworking and I have a passion for restoring this old home and I have a passion for doing, doing, doing. And God has shown me just in this short time of being here that if this church is truly gonna be planted, if I'm truly gonna live out my calling, it has to be a work of God and not a work of Nick Powell. And so that is really where I'm at personally. Um, barely begun this journey of planting a church. And I'm like, man, I really have an acute awareness of my dependence on God. Uh, I need the spirit of God to give me life. And so um, I just, this first podcast of uh, our local church, I wanted to serve as uh, a vision drip and really, that's the name of the podcast is the Hope City Drip. And, and so the cool thing about podcasts and the cool thing about modern technology is that, you know, you can listen to this at your own leisure. I mean, you, you could have paused this uh, a million times already. 
You could you could be listening to me on 2x speed, you know, I don't know. But this the advantage of having something like this is that I'm able to talk about the mission and the vision of Hope City Church and you're able to listen to it at your leisure. And then now you're going to be more informed as we come into conversation about, you know, what it is that we desire God to do through this local church. And so the first question or the first thing that I want to address using this podcast is um, why Hope City Church in Clinton, Iowa? What is our purpose? Why do we exist? Why create something like this? Um, why do a new thing? What it, and so really that gets at the, the question of what is our mission? That's why churches have mission statements. Why do we exist? Uh, so I just want to give you a brief little um, explanation of Hope City's reason for existence. That's 30,000 feet in the air, and then we're going to bring it back down um, over the course of the next you know, handful of podcasts. But this first podcast on our mission, uh, our, our vision, is going to be our mission statement. So our mission statement is that we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Clinton. I'll say it again. We exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Clinton. And so I'm going to take that statement apart uh, into two. I'm going to cut that down the middle. So the very first section of it is uh, we exist for the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus. Uh, Really what that is communicating is that Hope City Church is not primarily a cool church. It's not primarily a new church. You know, it's not primarily a conservative church or a liberal church or uh, whatever fresh church. It's it's master status. It's its primary thing is that Hope City Church is a Jesus church. We exist for the sole purpose of bringing glory and honor and fame to the name of Jesus Christ. And so where we... I want to take us through just a couple little sections of scripture here uh, that really point to that. Um, that's not something that I've decided as like, yeah, this is Hope City's like, this is what makes us distinct, you know, like, no, this is, the Bible is Jesus-centered. And so really, um, our mission statement is absolutely not original. Uh, it's totally something that we got from scripture. So John, uh, let's see, John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So that's John 1. And then I'm going to turn to Colossians one, let's see, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So that's some Jesus-centered scripture right there. Uh, And then the next section is Jude 24 through 25. Uh, Jude is... Jude's a great book. Uh, it was I preached through the book of Jude as my actual like ending sermon series to, on my way out the door of Frontier Church. They sent me out with giving the lead pastor gave me the pulpit for four weeks, which is incredible. Uh, pastors don't just give their pulpits up for four weeks in a row, so um, that just shows you how serious they were about planting a church and developing a church planner. So let's see the doxology in Jude. It says, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. To glory. Glory be to Jesus. And then there's uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31, which is like the, the most straightforward assertion of uh, the first part of our mission statement. Let's see. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, so whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking or planting a church, do all to the glory of God. And since we know, because we're Trinitarian theologians, we know that Jesus is also God, uh, the God-man. He is, he is uh, the second person of the Trinity. And so Jesus, uh, we do all things for the glory of Jesus. That is uh, the reason for Hope City's existence. That's what we strive for. All of the victories that we may have, all of the struggles that we may go through, all of it is for the glory of Jesus. Uh, and then, so in church history, there's been a lot of helpful articulations of our faith, and one, some of them come through the form of catechisms. Uh, catechisms historically are what uh, church leaders, pastors uh, have led uh, young folks in the faith through, whether they're new converts or young children. Uh, they've led them through catechisms, which are basically uh, a question is asked and then an answer is given. And the goal was to memorize the uh, question and answer so that you would be uh, learning the basics of the faith and that you would um, love God and um, love your neighbor. And so that the catechisms in the, were used often in the church to articulate basic faith. And question one of the most popular, one of the most popular catechisms, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, asked the question, what is the chief end of man? So the chief end of man, what is the purpose? Like, what are we made for? What's our end? What are we supposed to, like, why do we exist? Well, the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's what uh, a lot of church leaders over throughout long, long periods of time and generations, uh, their accumulated knowledge of the scriptures, they've said, well, if we could distill that down, like what the purpose of life is, if we could distill it down into something really digestible, it would be uh, that we were supposed to glorify God and, and enjoy him. 
And I think that's just a really helpful way to frame the Christian life. Uh, We exist to glorify Jesus and to enjoy him. And so our mission statement is divided. Like I said, I was going to divide that up into two. Uh, We just went through the glory of Jesus part. Now, um, the joy of Clinton. Like, where do we get that? So another way to put that is that we are for the city. We are for um, the people, the real people in this place. We want to we want to be for them and love them and serve them. Now, why is that? Well, uh, the theological, biblical answer to that is that the church, like the people of God, is the covenant people of God. And so uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God has essentially made a promise with his people. Uh, the promise is that he's going to um, steadfastly love them. He's never going to stop loving his people. That's the basic promise of the covenant. But it gets more specific and it gets more interesting to the church. So I want to, if you have read it all in your Bibles, like in Galatians 3, Paul's letter to the Galatians, Paul says that if you believe in Jesus, then you also are uh, inheritors of the ancient promises that were given to God's people through Israel. And so Galatians 3 connects the New Testament church, it connects us with the Old Testament uh, church. And, and this is, the reason I'm bringing this up is because in Genesis 12, a promise is made to Abraham. God says something very provocative and something very uh, interesting, should be interesting to the people of God in modern life. Genesis 12 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. So go from you know your homeland, your family, uh, to the land that I will show you. So God's leading him somewhere else. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you uh, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all uh, the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the word blessed happens a lot. And really what we see there is that God promises to Abram, who becomes Abraham, he promises him that he will uh, bless him and then his uh, people, his family would be a blessing to the rest of the world. That theme is carried over throughout the scriptures. So the church is that people group that God chooses to bless. And then that uh, people group, the church, we are to go and be a blessing. So 1 Peter 2, let's go to 1 Peter. This is one of my favorite little sections of scripture. So 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. And I'm turning my Bible one-handed because my other hand's hurt. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is covenant language. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And so this is what the idea that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Jesus says that you are a light to the world. You're a city on a hill. And so the church steps into this long uh, current, this massive river of faith that the people of God have been living for generations and generations and generations. And the purpose of God saving them was that they were to then turn towards the rest of the world that does not know the love of God and to go and proclaim the love of God to those that don't know it. And so that's... uh, That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're called to do. That's our destiny is that we were lost, right? This is the basic gospel is that if if you don't know God, then you don't know life. You don't know flourishing. You don't know joy. You are lost. And not only are you lost, you're dead in your sins. You're, You're completely without life and power. But then God, through the cross of Christ, seeks you out. And then as when you turn from your lifestyle that led to death and you turn toward the marvelous light and joy and flourishing found in God, then you come alive. Like you ignite, like your life is innervated with this incredible energy and this incredible joy. And now your destiny is to take that life and to show that life to other people and to invite that people into that life. And so the church, it really is called, the, the destiny of the church, we are to be a countercultural people group. We are to be a countercultural people that shows the world, man, this is where life is found. It's found in Jesus Christ. So that's why, uh, big idea, we exist for the glory of Jesus and for the joy of Clinton. We are called to be a blessing. And so uh, the question that you might have, if, you know, if you're in Clinton, you might be wonder, asking, well, man, I understand that like in my head. I understand the head knowledge of that, but I'm not quite sure just how to love and be for this city because being in this city is hard. I mean, my house is old and my job is just, it doesn't pay me enough and I got to like drive all across the state because there's not enough work here or, you know, all of the parks here just aren't taken care of or whatever it might be. Everyone's got an excuse to why their life is just a little bit harder than they want it to be. And you might feel like this place is not your home. And if you don't feel like this place is your home, you're probably not going to strive to love it and to make it better and to keep it up. But God doesn't really give his people an excuse, uh, a way out, just because they don't like the place they live. Uh, In fact, there's a story in the Bible that really sheds light to this radical call to be a counterculture of joy in the place that you live. Uh, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. I'm going to try to turn there uh, without too much page flipping. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7 says... Okay, the people of God are in exile, right? The little context of the story is that 
Uh, God's people have just been taken as prisoners of war and captives. They've been conquered by this enemy nation, this enemy uh, you know, group of people called the Babylonians. And they've taken them by force against their will with no consent to their country and to their lands and told to live you know, according to their ways. And they're sitting around wondering, when are we going to get to go home? Because God, you promised to bless us and to make us into a great nation and to give us flourishing in our lives, and we're just not experiencing it. And this word that God gives his people through the prophet Jeremiah is just radical. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says this is what to do. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. So basically have babies. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Wow, God sent them into exile. And pray, not only that, but pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. That's crazy. So I guarantee you that if, if you're in Clinton, Iowa, the people uh, of God back then in Babylon had it way worse than you do in Clinton, Iowa. Like, I'm from here, and I know how hard this place can be for some of you. I know how hard this place can be mentally, um, emotionally, physically. I know how hard this can be for you. But God calls us to seek the flourishing and the joy of this place. And that's, that it's not just a spiritual thing, too. It's primarily a spiritual flourishing. But when you see what God called them to do, I mean, it was, it was an embodied life, like, have babies and, and build places of belonging, like houses. You know, like we're we're called to be a presence in this city that is tangibly, like you can reach out and touch it. Like, wow, these people, there's something here that I can taste in. There's something here that is different, that the joy is just absolutely present. And that's what we're called to do. And so this church, Hope City Church, Clinton, Iowa, is a Jesus church. Hope City Church exists for the glory of Jesus. Not only that, Hope City Church, along with that, what this is linked at the hip, we are a church that seeks the joy of Clinton. The joy of Clinton. And so we know that the way that that translates is the greatest need of this place is not primarily a physical thing. Though I just said that you can say that it part of that is a physical thing, but the greatest need of this place is the greatest news of all. There are lost people in this place that do not know the love of Jesus, and that's primarily what we are called to do. That's why we are here. Hope City Church, Clinton, Iowa, is beginning because there are people here that do not know the love of God and have not experienced the joy found in being saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we take the gospel to this place and to these people. That, that's why we're here.
30,000 feet in the air. That's why we're here. Um, but I, I want to just like address the elephant in the room. Maybe there's no elephant in the room for you, but uh, for a lot of folks, when you talk about church planting, especially in uh, a place like Clinton, Clinton has more than one church. He has quite a bit of churches. And you could say Clinton is pretty churched. Like there's a lot of different types of churches. Historically in Clinton, there have been Presbyterian churches, Lutheran churches, Catholic churches. I mean, there are all sorts of mainline denomination churches and Pentecostal churches, black churches, white churches. Like there's all, all different shapes, sizes of churches in this place. So that begs the question, why another church in Clinton? Like really? Like why plant another church in Clinton, Iowa? Well, one of the reasons why I think that uh, that question needs to be, well, I mean, we need to frame that question first. Why more churches? Well, if your understanding of the church is something different than what I was just describing, um, if, if your understanding of the church is that it's primarily uh, a, basically like a Chick-fil-A, um, that a church is a business, that a church uh, really all it does is, is looks at the market and says, hmm, what section of this market can I capture and uh, deliver goods and services um, for payment. I know that's a really crude way to talk about it, but a lot of people in this country uh, look at church that way. Oh, I go to church because they give me some sort of religious good and service that I pay for through my tithes and offerings. And uh, you know what? Uh, if they start, if they piss me off, like I'm going to go to a different church. You know, I, I'm the one who's in control here because I'm the consumer. Uh, that's unfortunately how a lot of people look at the church. And, you know, if that's the way that you look at the church, then you're going to think a new church in a place like Clinton is like just gunning for an already saturated market. And that's just a terrible way to look at it. It's a terrible way to look at church planting. And so uh, what I want to guide you through is a way to think about uh, so if you're a Christian, you know, if you're um, part of Hope City Church's little budding uh, core team, uh, I want to arm you with a couple reasons, whether you're having a conversation with yourself or with your grandma or whatever, uh, I want to give you a couple reasons why there is a need to plant another church in Clinton. Number one, uh, theologically. So theologically, uh, the church uh, exists to proclaim the gospel to the lost, right? The church is primarily a mission uh, organization. It's primarily a missionary endeavor. Uh, there are lost people in Clinton. There are people that are, are walking around spiritually dead that do not know real life and joy found in Christ. And so uh, I think the best estimate is like, I mean, don't quote me on this, but I, I've heard from other area leaders that, there's like, okay, 25,000 people that live in Clinton, uh, Clinton proper, not counting the surrounding community, but Clinton proper, there's 25,000 people here. On any given Sunday, there's maybe 3,000 people that go to church. Now we know that just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. So, but let's just assume everyone that's going to church in Clinton is a Christian just for the sake of numbers. I mean, just let's just bump that up to 5,000. Let's say 5,000 people go to church and are resilient disciples of Jesus. Uh, how many people is that? That's still 15,000 people in Clinton alone that do not know Jesus. 
and are dead in their sins, and that when they die, they will experience an eternity in hell. Like that's, that is heartbreaking and creates the impetus or creates the reason, one of the reasons, a, a really compelling reason why we should prioritize taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to Clinton. And, and so you might say, if you're thinking, you might say, well, should, isn't that an individual Christian's responsibility? Yes, it is. And the existing churches need to do that. They are doing that. However, if they could do all of that work, they would be doing all of that work, but they're not. And so God calls, uh, this is a group and a team effort, not just one church, but a bunch of churches need to uh, reach the city with the gospel. And and one of the beautiful things about this is that in Ephesians, um, I think it's Ephesians 3, uh, yeah, I'll just, I think it's Ephesians 3. It says that uh, through the church, the manifold wisdom and glory of God is put on display. Through the church. And manifold means multifaceted, like a bunch of different colors, a bunch of different, um, you know, shapes and sizes. Like the manifold glory of God is put on display through the manifold and diverse church. So Clinton, uh, I'm from First Baptist Church in Clinton. Great church, oak tree of a church. It's been around for 100, I think 25 years or 150 years. And, uh, and that church is perfectly designed to reach the people that are at that church. Now, is that the entire city of Clinton? No, it's not. Because that church is, is designed to reach the people that they're already reaching. Like that's, that's kind of what, that's their family. And so we need more families of Jesus. And we need more local churches that can reach out and take the gospel to pockets of this city that do not yet uh, know Jesus and embrace him. And so we need churches that look different than each other, that embrace the same Jesus and have the same gospel, the same mission, but look different culturally from one another. That's why we need another church. And that's why you could plant 500 churches in Clinton and still not have enough laborers to reach the lost in this city. And here's the second reason. So the, those first reasons were in the category of theological. Uh, the second category would be practical. So just practically, uh, and this really is at the heart of one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to come back to Clinton, Iowa, to reach this community with Jesus, uh, is this place is broken. It just is. Uh, Clinton's sadness is palpable. It just it reaches out and touches you. Um, whether it's the old downtown buildings that are just falling into disrepair, uh, whether it's, you know, just a lot of the houses in this town are especially near the downtown and the old parts. A lot of them are just falling into disrepair. And when you just think about it, a town that used to have 40,000 people that now has 25,000 people, there's just not enough people, uh, to take care of the stuff, the infrastructure that was here. This is a great city. It's a great place to live. It's got beautiful, beautiful natural amenities. I mean, the river, the hills, the farmlands. I mean, everything is awesome here. Yet, there is a story of brokenness that is here in Clinton. And where there are broken people, there is a heightened sense for, uh, for something more. There is a heightened sense that we need uh, something more than us. Like, there need, like, hope. 
hope for something is is more aggressively pursued. I need something else, you know, and uh, and we know that because every human being on the planet was made to worship. God put the eternity into every person's heart. Every person, whether they're a Christian or non-Christian, craves for something more than what's found in this place. And that's why uh, the church in this community has a heightened sense of urgency to take the gospel to those that are broken and in need. And so for those of you wondering why another church in Clinton, Iowa, it's because this place is wrecked and there needs to be more people that rush into the wreckage with the gospel of Jesus Christ and shine a light into the darkness. That's why we're planting a church here. And so we pray for God to blow his spirit into this thing. This is a God thing. It's a Jesus thing. This is not a Hope City Church thing. It's not a um, it's not a Nick Powell thing. Like this is a Holy Spirit endeavor that he's using and raising up uh, his people to accomplish the mission for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Clinton. And so really, I'm going to end there. Uh, that That's the 30,000 feet in the air view of the mission and vision of Hope City Church. Got a little uh, window into my story, and I'm sure I'll share more of that with, with some of you in person and more of that on the podcast. And so I just want to say thanks for listening to Hope City Drip. And whether you're a member of this local church or not, whether you're part of this budding core team or not, whether you live in the Clinton community or elsewhere, if you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, remember this. Remember that he's called you to a vocation. He's called you to a purposeful way of life. You're called to be a counterculture of hope. You're called to lock arms with your local church and to meet the greatest need of your community by bringing it the greatest news of all.